I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the end of the book of Colossians. Uh, Today we're going to be finishing up our study in this book. Uh, We've spent a good deal of time here through the uh, winter months, and I hope that you've enjoyed it and found it to be a rich study too. Colossians chapter 4, we're going to pick up at verse 12 and go to the end of the chapter. Paul writes about Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus. He sends his greetings, and he is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. And give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Father, we thank you again for your word, and we do not take it for granted that we have this book in our hands. We have the awesome privilege to hear from the living God, and these words are true. They speak to all areas of life, and we have seen that as we walk through this letter to the Colossians. We have heard from you, and you have uh, taught us. You have instructed us in how we are to live in a way that pleases you. And I pray that as we finish our study today, that you would really bring home these central truths and how important it is that we continue to keep our eyes on Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. In 1991, Gail and I attended the Evangelical Free Church Conference out in uh, New England. And our sons at that time, our oldest sons, were about 10 and 8. They were just shy of that, but pretty close to 10 and 8 years old. And we wanted to take them with uh, because Gil and I had lived in New England for a time, and we wanted Matt to see the place where he was born and uh, kind of revisit some sites, historical sites, as well as some scenery along the coast. And so he took the boys out there, and one day we made this side trip down to the coast to see the ocean. We were also going to gather some seashells and things like that. And uh, it was a rocky coast. There was a lighthouse there, and the rocks kind of gently went down into the ocean, and you could see the waves beating up over them. And I gave the guys a warning when we went there. I said, now be careful when you're out on the rocks, because they can be slippery from the water and the moss that's there, and so you want to be very careful and not get too close to the edge. Well, sure enough, Matt, who's our risk taker, got too close to the edge. And uh, he got on a mossy patch, and he slipped, and he went down in this uh, crevice. Fortunately, it wasn't real deep. It was about maybe a five-foot kind of fall. And uh, it was about three feet wide in this crevice, but there were waves that were coming in and out. And so I ran over there real quickly, and when you know, I slipped on the moss too, and I go sliding down, but I am uh, tall enough that... I could actually brace my feet against the other side, and so I didn't actually go down into it. And I reached down, and I grabbed Matt, and I pulled him up just as a wave was coming in. And he got all wet, but fortunately that was the worst of it. Uh, We, I think, lost a camera in the process, too, and those kind of things. 
but uh, both of us were kind of wet and uh, covered with moss, and we had to change and uh, continue on our way that day. Well, I share that because when we think about our children as parents, we are always concerned for them. We're always looking out for them or anxious or praying about them and their circumstances. Matt is still our risk taker. He, in fact, has a trip planned in May to climb Mount Rainier uh, with a couple of his friends. In fact, one of the friends from camp where he uh, met some of these other climbers. And it's not just a ordinary kind of climb, hike up the side of the mountain. It involves some technical aspects of going between a couple of glaciers and making sure you get up there uh, safely. So we still pray for him and the risks that he is taking. I share that this morning because that's how Paul felt for all of the churches. He viewed those new believers as his spiritual children. He had been there. He had been to many of these churches and started them, and he knew the people personally. And even those churches that he had not started, like Colossians, he was concerned about. And when he heard from Epaphras what was going on there and the dangers of false teachers who had come in, he wrote this letter to respond to their need. But he shares his heart in 2 Corinthians in this passage where he says that besides everything else that was going on in his life, he said, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. Paul was concerned about these new believers. He prayed for them. He poured out his heart for them. He labored on their behalf. And what we see at the end of this letter is that Epaphras, who has come from Colossae, feels the very same way. In fact, he was probably the one who started that church in that city. And he came with this report to Paul to say, Paul, what should we do? Here's the situation. This is what we are facing with false teachers who have come in. And Paul and Epaphras prayed that the church would stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. And that is the same message that we need to hear as well. You see, whether the danger is from false teaching or from persecution or sin that affects the church, we need to stand firm in Christ. And we live in a time as well when there are many different things that are beating against the church. All these competing worldviews or the temptations of sin to walk away from Christ. And we need to keep our eyes on him. And what I found as I was studying this prayer of Epaphras and this last part of the letter is that really Paul's prayer and what Epaphras prays fit together. And it provides a very good summary for the book and what we have been studying in these past several weeks. So let's take a look at what God has to say to us this morning. Number one, we are to stand firm in all the will of God. We are to stand firm in all the will of God. Now, knowing the will of God doesn't mean that we will know everything about the future. It doesn't mean that we're going to know all the details of our life. God doesn't operate that way. He doesn't show us everything exactly that's going to come our way. But we can see the big picture in Scripture. We can see the big picture for the church. We can see the big picture for our lives and what it is that God wants to do as we continue to grow in our relationship with Him. And so there are things about God's will that we can know, what pleases Him and how we are to live as Christians in this world. And we get that in the book of Colossians. 
For example, in the book of Colossians, we can know who Christ is and why he came. If we go back to chapter 1, it says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We learn about Christ, why he came. He came to be our redeemer, to die on the cross for our sins. He shed his blood for that atonement that was required in order to satisfy the demands on our life and the punishment that we deserve. And so here is this Jesus who comes, and he is not just a man. He's not like these other false teachers who claim that they have a way to know God. He is the only way to God. And in him is all the fullness of deity in bodily form. He's not just a man. He is God in human flesh. And this unity that we see in Christ who has come down to earth for our sake is just so awesome and powerful the way Paul lays it out and exalts Jesus Christ. We can also know God's purpose for the church and His purpose for our life. In short, it is to know Him and to make Him known. God calls us into a relationship with His Son. He wants us to know God. And the way that we do that is through Jesus. But He also wants us then to turn around and help others to know Him too, to be His witnesses in this world. And He says of the church that God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He wants us to be a living, walking demonstration of the change that Jesus can make in a person's life. We've had these banners up the whole time. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the theme of this book. That's what Paul is driving at. That the thing that makes us different, the thing that changed our life is when Christ came into our heart. When we came to that point of surrender and we asked Jesus to forgive our sins and we yielded our life to Him, Jesus came in. And He began this relationship with us that's a transforming relationship. The more we get to know Him and spend time in His Word, the more we grow in our relationship and our understanding of God's will. And He changes us and old habits fall away and new habits take their place and our thinking begins to change and we look at life differently. And what happens is that when we get it, when we understand God's purpose for the church and for our life, it makes a difference in how we live today. It's powerful. Uh, Several of you this winter were involved in the Truth Project class that Pastor Jason was teaching. And uh, I heard from those that were in it and from Jason's reports just uh, what a wonderful time you had. Uh, Just looking at what's going on in our world today, competing worldviews that are out there and how there are many different things that are trying to undermine the truth. But when you see the truth of God's Word applied to all areas of life, whether it's politics or government or education or marriage and the family, that's powerful. When you see it and understand God's purposes for those different institutions even, and how they are meant to be for our good, and you understand how God uses them in that way, it is transforming. And I would encourage those of you that maybe considered it this year but didn't take that class to plan that in next year when it's offered again 
and to be a part of that study. In the same way, we've had our elders and some other leaders in our church meeting to study uh, a class on the church right now. And the reason that we do that is because, again, when we understand the big picture of the church, you know, we see how all the different ministries that we have fit together and are part of what God wants to do in our life, it too is really revolutionary. You know, sometimes people come and they look at a church and they think it's just a collection of programs or we're just trying to do some random things here and there. And that's not true at all. We have an intentional plan for discipleship. We want to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. And it may start here in the worship service as your first experience where you come to worship God and you are learning from His Word. But we want you to take the next step. We want you to get involved in our adult Bible fellowships. We want you to get involved in our small groups. And as a part of our discipleship path for adults, we encourage people to take things like this Truth Project class. We have Christianity Explored and Discipleship Explored for those who may be new to the faith and wanting to establish those basics in your life. And we have different studies that are ongoing to help you grow and mature as a believer. It's not just a random collection of programs or studies, but there's really intention behind that. And the same thing is true in our children's ministry and our youth ministry. We're trying to help people step by step grow in their relationship with Christ. You see, knowing the scripture is like having a blueprint to guide you in your life. Now, I want you to think about this physical structure of the church. Can you imagine trying to build a building like this without a blueprint? Yeah, I mean, it would be a disaster. I mean, uh, if you had a construction worker show up one day, you know, and you say, well, we need some walls, you know, and they go, well, where? And you go, I don't know, just put them up anywhere. I mean, that would be nonsense. You know, if they came and they said, I know you need some windows, you know, where should we put these things? We'll just slap them in here and there. Or, oh, yeah, doors, doors. We need some doors to get into this place. And no one would do that. You'd need a blueprint if you're going to build something well that's going to last and serve the purposes that you have. And when we come to God's Word, we see His purpose for the church. We see His purpose for the life, for our life. And we aren't going to grow in that. We're not going to grow toward maturity or become all that we can be until we study that blueprint And we see how we are to live as disciples of Jesus. And that's what Paul has tried to lay out in this book of Colossians. He calls us to stand firm in all the will of God and to understand that. And then he calls us toward maturity. Epaphras is praying, and Paul is praying that we would stand firm, mature in Christ. Now what does that mean? Well, the goal of the Christian life is to become that kind of mature believer in Christ. To be growing in wisdom, in our stature, our understanding, in our commitment to Christ, where He is everything to us. He's first in our life. This past week, we had a wonderful concert on Thursday night by Sam Rotner. Uh, Those who were here, you know, just thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't know if I've heard a finer pianist. Uh, He was just excellent. And near the end of that program, he shared his testimony, how as a a Jewish uh, individual, he had uh, not grown up in a home that knew about Christ or read about Christ. 
You know, he practiced his faith as he was taught. But he shared how at a point in his life he came to know Jesus. And it was through the reading of God's Word and people that were brought into his life. And he made that commitment to Christ. He shared his dedication to his music. You know, how he studied at Juilliard and he played and practiced piano 10 hours a day, every day. You can understand why he used and developed the talent that he had and how God has blessed that. But I'm going, you know, that's that's amazing, that kind of dedication to it. And 10 hours of practice every day. And yet he could stand here and he could say that, you know what? The music, that's second. Jesus Christ is everything to me. Jesus Christ has changed my life. And he, and he shared in kind of a humorous way that when I have played at concerts, there have been two people that have been at every concert that I've ever given, Jesus and me. And I play my music, first of all, for Jesus. And it was a beautiful testimony of his commitment to Christ. That's the kind of maturity that God wants to bring all of us to, where Jesus is everything to us. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's the one who died for us. He's the one who loves us and who guides us and who walks with us every day. He is sufficient. He is sufficient for us. So how does that happen? How do we become mature believers in Christ who come to that point of deep commitment? Well, we need to keep growing spiritually. And Paul challenged the believers in Colossae and Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, to let their roots sink down deep into Christ. He said, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Sink those roots down deep. Keep growing. Keep growing in your understanding of the Word of God. Keep applying that to your life and be faithful in that, diligent. Be the kind of person who has set Christ apart in your heart as Lord and who continues to walk with Him day by day. We also need to keep our eyes on Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, he said, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And remember how in that chapter he goes on and he lays out what it means now to live as a Christian? It means that we put to death those things that were part of our old nature. Our self-centeredness, our pride, our greed, our lust, our behaviors that were part of the past. Put them to death and have no part in that anymore. And instead put on the garments of grace and live and walk in such a way that your heart is filled with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Be the kind of person who bears with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Be that kind of person who is loving and forgiving. Be the kind of person who is saturating your mind with the Word of God growing deep in your walk with Him. You know, if you took this letter and you read through it again and you marked all those things that Paul was saying, I mean, I think you'd underline about everything in this letter. It is so very, very practical and powerful and how it speaks to us. 
it's well worthy of our study again to read it and meditate on it and apply it to our life. What happens as we grow in maturity then is that spiritual maturity affects all of our relationships. That's, that's the reward that comes. That's the fruit of it that we start to see. As we grow deep in Christ and He changes our life, we experience more joy, more freedom, more wisdom and healthier relationships. And that spills over into all of our relationships, Paul says, whether it's in our marriage, our family life, our work relationships, whether it's with people in the church or people in the world. God's Word transforms us. Now, how many of you saw the movie The Blind Side? And I'm sure many already have. We watched it as a family, and I, I just loved it. I thought it was a powerful story. There was a, a redemptive story of a Christian family who takes in this young black man who has no place to go and who's basically living on the streets. And you know the story is how it transforms really his life and how uh, he goes on to make it and play in the NFL now with the Baltimore Ravens. Well, after we watched that story, I was curious about the real story. I mean, I wanted to know, you know, what got left out of the movie? Or well, let me know a little bit more about this family's faith in Christ. And there were other details that Michael Orr, for example, you know, he connected with the family and he was up every day on Sundays and he was ready to go to church. He went with the family to church. He began to grow in his relationship with Christ as well and it was powerful to see. And you could see, you know, how faith permeated the decisions that they made. But one of the things that struck me out of that, kind of doing some search and looking at these different stories, uh, one of the things that struck me was a comment that was made by Sandra Bullock, who plays the part of Leanne Tui. And Sandra Bullock said that that movie caused her to rethink her own faith. She said, for the first time in my life, I saw people who walked the walk. She saw people who walked the walk, who lived it out. And when I think of what's going on in her life right now and the troubles that she is having relationally in her marriage, you know, I just wonder if God's going to use that in her heart and bring that back home for her. We want to be that kind of people who walk the walk in our community, in our place of work, in our neighborhood, in our family, our marriage who live out that faith in Christ in such a real and genuine way that others can see Jesus in us. And when we're struggling, and if there are times when we need help, and all of us do, we have a support of people who will pray for us or encourage us or counsel us or help us. We need those. We need peers in our life, and we need mentors in our life who can help us along this way to stay the course. Spiritual maturity also brings wisdom. In Paul's case here, he was very concerned about the false teachers that had come into the church. And spiritual maturity brings that kind of wisdom where we will not fall prey to false teaching or Satan's schemes. It's why, again, we need to know God's Word. You know, as parents, again, when you think of your kids maybe going off to college or when they reach that age where they're on their own, you know, Troy shared today how... Sadly, many kids fall away from their faith. It's why we want to do everything we can to ground them in the Scripture and prepare them. Because the truth is that there comes that time in our life where as a young adult we have to choose 
what is it I believe? We have to make our faith our own. It's not just because our parents said we should go or brought us to church, but we need to come to that personal conviction in our own heart that Jesus is Lord and that He deserves everything. He's my Lord and my Savior, and I want to give my very best for Him. And I will follow Him, and I'm not going to listen to Satan's lies or schemes or things that he is trying to do to trip me up. In the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote this concerning maturity. He said that then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We get a picture there of someone who's grown in maturity. They're no longer an infant. They're no longer immature in their thinking where they hear uh, this latest thing that's kind of discovered or brought out and it shakes their faith or they hear this thing and they're worried or anxious about it. No, they've come to the point where they know the truth of God's Word and they stay the course. And as a body of believers, we are there to support one another. Our eyes are on Christ, but we are there to encourage one another to hold on to Jesus and to keep walking with Him. And as a result, we grow toward maturity and become the kind of person that God can use in our world. Well, the third part of Epaphras' prayer was this, that we would stand firm, secure in Christ, or fully assured in all the things of God. Secure. And where does security come from? Well, it comes from our relationship with Christ. You know, we don't find that security in ourselves. It's not confidence in our own ability to handle these challenges and tasks. But our confidence is in the Lord. And He's the one who makes us adequate. It goes back to the theme of Colossians. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory, that gives us strength to face life's challenges. What we see in Colossians in this letter are some examples, too, where failures will come. Failures will come in our life and in ministry, but they need not be final. Remember in the list of names, I mentioned a couple of these last Sunday. How you have the story of Onesimus, this runaway slave who did not know Christ, but becomes a believer, a brother in Christ. That's a redemptive story. Here's a guy who did the wrong thing, if you will, and yet God used it for good in his life, and he comes to know Jesus. Comes back to make restitution and be reconciled. You have the story of Mark, who once deserted Paul, but who is now restored and faithful, who goes on to be the author of the second book of Scripture, that is a redemptive story. And if you know Barnabas had given up on Mark, or if the church had given up on Mark, where would he be? We don't know. But people came alongside to help him, and Mark grew in his relationship with Christ. And then there's a man in this passage in verse 14 named Demas. Not much is said about him here, but in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul later says this sad note about him, that Demas, who loved this present world, had left him and had gone to Thessalonica. 
that's the last word we read about Demas in Scripture. I hope it's not the last word in his life. I hope that for Demas too there was a turning back to Christ. We just don't know. But ministry is like that. Life is like that. There are times when we see those successes and joys and we celebrate and the transformation in people's lives and sometimes people fall away. They may fall away for a season and need to come back or sometimes, sadly, there are people that it seems like they have fallen away and they don't ever come back. And only God knows where their heart is at. You know, that's life. That's life. We're going to have failures ourselves. We're going to have times when we're going to stumble and fall and where we sin and we go, why did I do that? God, would you forgive me and strengthen my heart? And we get back up and we go again. I love these words of C.S. Lewis. There's nothing like a good Lewis quote here in a message. But he says this. He goes, No amount of falls will really undo us if we keep picking ourselves up each time. We shall, of course, be very muddy and tattered children by the time we reach home. (laughs) I like that. But the bathrooms are all ready, the towels are put out, and the clean clothes in the airing cupboard. The only fatal thing is to lose one's temper and give up. It is when we notice the dirt that God is most present in us. It is the very sign of His presence. Those words are hopeful. Those words remind us that God is a God of second chances. A God who is there to pick us up and help us as we continue on our way. Don't ever quit. Don't ever lose heart and give up in your faith. Hold on to Jesus. Stand firm in your walk with Him and trust Him. When you stumble... Confess it, be honest about it, and admit it to God or admit it to whoever you may have sinned against. And make things right. And come back and keep growing in your relationship with God. That's the way of maturity. That's the way of wisdom. And we continue to grow deeper in our relationship with Him. And Jesus is faithful. And He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. But He is there for us. Paul wanted the believers in Christ here to encourage one another. And so in verse 16, he says, After you've read this letter, I want you to send it on to the Laodiceans, a neighboring community and that church. And he said, In turn, I want you to read the letter that comes from them. And uh, we don't know exactly what that letter was. Some wondered if it was the letter to the Ephesians that was circulating. But it may have been a lost letter that we simply don't have anymore. And that happened with a couple of the letters also to Corinthians. We have what we call 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but it seems that there was other correspondence that we do not have. And God in His sovereignty did that to preserve these letters, these books, that would become part of the New Testament, His holy word. And Paul goes on and he says in verse 17, I urge Archippus to complete the work that he has received in the Lord. Archippus, take to heart your calling and continue to work at this with all your heart and fulfill the responsibility that God has given to you. We don't know a lot about Archippus. There's some speculation in it and there's some things that we do know. 
in the letter to Philemon, which we're going to look at next week, Archippus is mentioned there. He was very likely a member of Philemon's household, but he may have even been his son. And it is possible that Archippus was the pastor, if you will, of the church in Epaphras' absence. And so here he has this responsibility to shepherd the flock, many believe, and to watch over them. And Paul is saying, be faithful. Be faithful and do your work well as unto the Lord. Let me give you or tell you a story this morning that I think is a picture of faithfulness. As some of you have probably visited the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at Arlington National Cemetery. A man named Harry Heinz was there one day, and he was observing the changing of the garden. He made this observation about it. He said, I had been there many times to watch how solemnly and with dignity these soldiers pay tribute to those who have fallen in wars and are unknown, those unknown soldiers. And they are there, and if you've ever seen the way in which they march and the reverence and honor in that place, it really is a moving thing to witness. But on this occasion, Harry said, I saw something that I'd never seen before. There was a man named Sergeant Jennings who had completed his 27 months of this special duty, and this was his last day. And so as part of that ceremony that day, the commanding officer handed Jennings four roses, and he went and he knelt at each of the tombs that are there and he laid a rose at each tomb. And then he got up and he went to his commanding officer and he looked him in the eye and he shook his hands and then he took off his gloves and he handed his gloves to his commanding officer and he marched away. His work was done. He had finished his task. And Harry Hines said, I thought of that day when I stand before Jesus. And what will it be like, in a sense, to take off my gloves and to hand them to Jesus? And with tears in my eyes, I thought of what that day would be like. I want to be faithful to the end. I want to complete the work that he has given me to do and to do that well. With that kind of dignity and honor and responsibility, being faithful in all things. You see, each of us have been given an assignment from God. And that may be our assignment. It includes things like, if you're married, being faithful to your spouse. It means loving your children, teaching them about Christ. It makes it means being a person who is committed to the church and to strengthening the church and loving one another in the body of Christ. It means being the kind of person who's faithful in your workplace and gives a full day's work. It's a person who again walks with Christ as Lord in your heart and who looks at everything in life and wants to honor Him and the choices, decisions that you make, being faithful all along the way. Because the day is going to come when we will stand before Christ and give an account to Him. And so the Bible calls us, whatever we do, do it with all your heart as serving the Lord. That's what faithfulness means. Paul comes to the end of his letter in verse 18 and he signs off himself. With his own hand, he writes these final words, remember my chains. Remember why I am here. 
It is for Christ's sake and it is for your sake. It's for your sake that I have endured these things for the sake of the gospel that all might come to know him. Paul is willing to pour out his life to the fullest for the sake of the church and his brothers and sisters in Christ. And his last words that he wrote here are grace be with you. God's grace be with you. Even in prison, Paul could say, His grace is sufficient for me, and His grace is sufficient for you. I don't know what trials you may be dealing with today. I know what some of you are going through and the things that are going on in your life, but I don't know what's going on in everyone's life. But I would say to you, as we even sang this morning, His grace is sufficient. If you will take those burdens and you will bring them to Christ and you will let Jesus rule in your heart, He will see you through. So stand firm. Stand firm, brothers and sisters. Stand firm in your relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise and glory and honor for your faithfulness to us. You have given us your word as a guide. You've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us and to illumine our minds and to equip us for ministry. You've given us your Son who died for us to be our Savior and Lord. How can we not live for you? Father, help us to do that fully with joy, with love, with a sense of freedom, giving back to you everything that we have. Father, I pray that You would show us what it is that each of us need to do in applying this message. Help us to be faithful in the specific assignments that you have given to each one of us. To live in a way that honors and glorifies you. Help us to stand firm in Christ. Amen. It seems very appropriate to close this service today with these words from Paul. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And all God's people said, Amen.